2: Hey there everyone from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos.
0: And I'm Scott Schaefer. And tonight on The Breakdown, before she announced a run for president, she caught national attention for her measured questioning of Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh but grief for her alleged treatment of staff.
2: That's right, we caught up with Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, one of many senators hoping to take on Trump in 2020. She was in Oakland this week, and we covered a lot, including about whether she's still mad about what happened at her senior prom.
0: Yes, and we'll be talking about her pink polyester dress, perhaps, yes. among other things. And, and we should say you know, we met her at uh, the Oakland Marriott uh, Wednesday morning. She was in town for various things, and um, you and I, Marisa, talked about how much attention to give to the comb, which (laughs) a lot of people know was sort of the opening of a New York, New York Times article about her treatment of staff. And we did get to sort of that issue generally. We didn't get to the comb. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it, it does seem like that issue is, is a lot of debate about how relevant that is and whether it's being treated differently because she's a woman. Right. You know. Um, yeah. You and think? I
2: think, you know, I, I think that's always the challenge we have on this show, which is like part of what we're trying to do is give people a sort of peek in to these lawmakers or people around the political world's lives. And we don't this is not a Policy debate. We have a lot of other forums where you and I ask very tough questions around that sort of thing. Um, But of course, like if it's part of their biography, like we need to explore it. it. So it's it's always a balance. And I think um, you know she's not the first person that we've kind of had to go. Okay, when do we ask this, and how do we ask it? Um, And I think that in that case, you know, it, it was sort of unquestionably. Relevant, um, You know, I think more broadly, we are trying to get all the presidential candidates on here, all 485 or whatever. <laughs> yes. um, we've had... 482 uh, to go. Mayor Pete Buttigieg was on just a couple of weeks Kristen ago. Kristen
0: Gillibrand was on.
2: Yeah, Guy and I talked to Senator Gillibrand. Um, we're still waiting for our home state senator, Kamala, Kamala Harris. Kamala, we're calling you.
0: Come on in. Water's fine.
2: Um, but yeah, we really hope to get to everyone. And, and it is, you know, it's heating up. We saw Beto O'Rourke get in the race uh, just this week. Joe we've,
0: Biden's kind of sticking his toe in the water. Seems to likely. be... You know,
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bernie Sanders, of course, uh, officially announced, what, a week or so ago. um, And then
0: ran into a shower door.
2: (laughs) A lot out there. Elizabeth Warren has been making the rounds. I mean, and so, I, you know, I think it's interesting to see. I mean, we talked a lot when Kamala did announce about, you know, what a, a... she really got a very good I think um, response to her rollout. Um, big rally,
0: 20,000 people. Big rally. People.
2: But then you see, you know, I think this first quarter is really a fundraising test for a lot of these guys, sure. right? And yep. she, you know, raised, they said a million and a half in like the first 24 hours. One nine, I believe it was. Which then was dwarfed <laughs> by Bernie's almost six million, which, which then was then dwarfed by, by Beto O'Rourke. Yeah, More than six, six, million. six plus. That's a lot of money. And none of that is to say that, you know, that is the deciding factor. But no. it shows that there's excitement behind these people. It shows that there is, um, you know, an excitement among the base. And I think that this is going to be the interesting thing to watch with Biden. You've there's been a lot of leaks of things he said recently to people. You know, he's kind of worried about his ability to do that type of fundraising, which is sort of the new 21st century way to get that base support yeah well and it's, show it. and
0: it's in, an inexpensive way to raise money because fundraising is not cheap and right. you know Joe Biden uh, is of a different generation he Barack Obama did a great job of raising money from in small amounts from a lot of donors Biden didn't you know he didn't have to right. and so yeah the concern I think is how is he going to compete and you're right money's not everything I think you know if you look back to 2016 probably Jeb Bush you know had all the big donors locked up and, right. you know we have to really remember that polls really don't mean mean anything right now. But you know these fundraising numbers—they are a kind of early primary. You do get a sense of you know where people are putting their money, and that's a it's sort of a you know a, an indication of excitement and enthusiasm for a candidate. Well,
2: and again, given how huge this field is, there will be some culling, i um, probably we hope so. before, pro- likely before the caucuses for right. some candidates if yep. they don't feel like they're picking up steam. Um, and you know, I think again, it's like the more people that enter, the the harder it gets for those of us on our side, but also just the public to kind of keep track. And especially since they are really, um, you know, trying so far not to make it nasty, but we'll see.
0: We will. And, you know, Eric Swalwell, uh, we're told, might get in in April. So there might be one more, uh, one or two more still jumping in. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of choice and that's good. You know, it's going to be a big uh, primary season and it's always good to have choices when you're a voter.
2: That is certainly true. Um, we like choices on the breakdown, so <laughs> we're going to take a little break here. And when we come back, you will be, we will be joined by one presidential helpful, Senator Amy Klobuchar. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio.
0: dot -dot kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here, as always, with Marisa Lagos, and we're at the Oakland Marriott talking with Senator Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota. She's running for president in
3: 2020.
0: Senator Klobuchar, thanks so much for joining us.
3: Well, thanks, Scott. Thanks, Marisa. It's great to be on. So you're out here in California. You, you know, you're from
2: Minnesota. You, I think, have staked sort of the beginning of your campaign around being from the Midwest and some of these states that Democrats did not win in 2016. What's your message in California and and how hard, you know, do you want to work out here to get some of the delegates?
3: A lot of what I'm focused on uh, is something that the entire country needs, and that is governing from opportunity instead of chaos. Uh, Donald Trump, every single day tries to divide this country and no one knows better than people in california uh... what a diverse and beautiful country we are and yet every time there's a fork in the road he seems to pick the one that's most divisive whether it's after charlottesville when he uh... said there were two sides uh... when one side was white nationalism uh, and the other side uh... was bringing people together he did it just after this weekend uh... with the new zealand mass shooting and i am someone in my life Uh, who has worked to bring people together. I've done it by passing bills, a record number in the Senate. Uh, I've done it by uh, how I've taken on difficult issues uh, in my life and I think we need that in the White House right now.
2: Well, we want to talk a little bit about your life and kind of how you got to this point. So you grew up in Minnesota. Your mom was a teacher um, and your dad is a well-known newspaper columnist. I know but there's a lot of talk about your dad and we'll get to that, but tell us a little bit about your mom and kind of what was that relationship like and and was she part of why you ended up in politics?
3: Uh, she really was. Uh, my mom uh, was a public school teacher her whole life. She took a few years off when uh, my sister and I were born. Um, but she was someone that loved teaching. She grew up in Milwaukee, which is going to be the site of our Democratic National Convention. She grew up without a lot of money. Uh, my grandpa would sell jelly in jars during the Depression on the back of a, a red wagon. What kind of jelly? Uh, I don't know. It's because he got <laughs> leftover stuff from the pie shop that oh. he worked in. What and kind of wagon? I, uh, you guys are. Th- this is the kind of intense conversation you get in the We're Bay Area. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm all ready for it, man. So I have a good memory. So so she uh, ends up getting her teachers degree moving to minnesota cuz they have a strong teachers union she teaches second grade till she's 70 years old and uh, my favorite story about my mom is her favorite unit to teach was the monarch butterfly unit uh, where she would dress up as a monarch butterfly in tights antennas and a sign that said to Mexico or bust Uh, but it was only after she died that I learned uh, that she would always go back to the same grocery store (laughs) in that outfit which she would tell me as a joke but I didn't know why until a mom and her very disabled son came over to me at my mom's visit The mom was sobbing. She said, your mom was my son's favorite second-grade teacher, and his favorite unit was the Monarch Butterfly unit. So your mom, after he graduated a decade later, he got a job bagging groceries in this store. And my mom would go there every year in that outfit, stand in his line, and give him a big hug. So that's my mom. That's really
0: sweet. As Marisa said, your dad was a very well-known columnist, sports columnist uh, for the Minnesota Tribune, Right?
3: uh... and so what was it like growing up and having a dad who was you know quite well-known <laughs> well it was interesting because he was writing about the vikings and the twins and so i got to like go to the games which was pretty fun growing up um, and i would get to wait for him outside of viking games and i still remember this we would come out and there'd be a lot of fairly inebriated fans um, and my dad is pretty short and they would slap him on the back because we came out the players entrance uh, and they would say great game and he would always say it was a team effort um, and so he um, my life was a bit in a fishbowl because of that um, but yet he also loved his job and he literally spent his life after he did sports writing he then did a column about anything he wanted seven days a week and he would often take on the causes of people that were basically getting trampled down especially people that were like bank things that happened where they didn't get a fair shake or uh, employers it was really something and he would do it with humor it wasn't always mean-spirited but he would help them and so that was a great model for me and then um, uh, he was pretty proud when I got elected to the Senate he is now uh, 90 years old Uh, he's in assisted living and the other day I was back uh, uh, visiting him and he introduced me to a woman at the front desk and said, this is my daughter. She holds an obscure job in the federal government. <laughs> so he hasn't lost his sense of humor.
2: Well, we you've talked a lot openly, and so has he, about his struggles with alcohol. Um, and I know that he was pretty absent for a while from the family because of that i wonder reading about you and, and and as a kid i mean there's all these stories about you organizing kids with you know selling lollipops so your senior class could have a fancy prom yeah um which
3: i never had then when i was a senior but now i know i don't hold any gratitude <laughs> yes okay
2: oh that was for the other seniors
3: uh, yeah for the junior i was a junior oh, and wow, so we did wow that. and then we had to have our prom at the Ridge that's public Mall. service yes i had to dance around a fountain in my date wanted to go in the fountain and I wouldn't do it because I didn't want to ruin my pink polyester prom dress and matching shawl and shoes so he danced with Sally Lundine in her lime green dress and the entire school cheered them on and the vice principal who was a chaperone asked me if I needed a ride home from someone. Yeah, it, I bet it, Sally's Aww. not in the U.S. Senate. Yeah. No, no, I've talked to her since everything is good. I've <laughs> talked to my date. I think, though, hopefully they'll all vote she for She voting me. for you, yeah, Everything's exactly. Everything's yeah, exactly. Well, it I was guess a pretty I sh- traumatic experience.
2: <laughs> another story I read about was, like, but you... But then I got
3: elected to the Senate, so. Right. With the okay. last laugh. Yeah. That's,
2: that's a few years <laughs> later. No, but, I mean, I just wonder... I, I read another story about you, like, yeah. convincing a bunch of moms to let you kids take a trip when you were... Yes. You know, like, do you think... It sounds like you were very responsible and mm-hmm. out there do you think that was a response to your dad being kind of absent probably
3: so um, my dad uh, struggled with drinking his whole life and it's not a secret he had three DWI's that were very public and it was actually the third one which was um, uh, right before I got married uh, that was at a time when people were treating it more seriously and this is why as a former county attorney I really did a lot with like felony DWI because once he had the consequences out there like he could actually go to jail that that made him go to treatment. It was a bit of tough love. Before that he was always kind of pretending he had stopped drinking and he never did and so for me there were a lot of waiting for him to come home for Christmas on more, the Christmas morning, um, taking the keys away when I got older and driving because I'd see him drinking in the back um, and eventually after that third DWI he got the treatment that he needed. So I literally saw my dad climb the highest peaks, he was a mountain climber, and then sink to the lowest valleys Uh, because of his struggle with alcoholism and so that's why i'm such a believer in one that everyone should be able to have access to that kind of treatment and be in his words pursued by grace Uh, it changed his whole life Uh, and i think the consequences for me uh, were one, I really am devoted to helping people who have addiction problems. Uh, And then two, yeah, it made me pretty responsible because you're kind of on your own there. So if you're going to want to go on a trip with your friends to Kansas City at age 12, you're going to raise the money yourself and get your mom to let you go on a Greyhound bus, which is what we did.
0: So it sounds like you're obviously a pivotal person in your family. And yet, when you graduated from high school, you went to Yale. You went pretty far away to college were you trying to get away do you think from uh, you know from some of that
3: well I, I don't know I was what I do remember is I brought the pink polyester prom dress just in case I needed it which I never did uh, part of it was yeah because people knew who he was when I was growing up and I wanted to have my own identity in my own life um, I also had never literally been on the East Coast uh, I had gotten into a few schools and my dad would only let me see one to save money um, and so I just ended up there and it was quite a different environment for someone like me. I remember someone put a tractor on my door once for a joke, you know, because I was from the Midwest and I didn't know what squash was. I only thought it was a vegetable. And but I, um, you know, I made friends and I learned a lot and I got to see the world that way. And I ended up working my way back uh, first to law school at Chicago um, and then back to Minnesota right after law school because I liked it in our state. Well,
2: those of us on the West Coast don't play squash either, mostly. Oh, well, you
3: grew up in Buffalo. Oh
0: well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I grew up, a I'm ping pong. I'm a big ping pong guy. Oh, so- that's funny. And bowling. <laughs>
3: so at the Buffalo, there was a very famous Vikings Buffalo Bills game. Uh, where the fans got so mad because the Vikings were winning that they threw snowballs and they hit one of the players. And when I did my first meet the press debate during the 2006 Senate race, Tim Russert was from Buffalo, uh, and he actually I said to him before it started, I go I tell him about that game and how my dad was covering it. He's a big Bills fan. He goes, Oh, Senator, no, I was I wasn't Senator then. He goes, Oh, Amy, I wasn't uh, I wasn't there covering it as a reporter. No, I was throwing the snowballs. <laughs> <laughs> That's Buffalo. Still there.
2: So in, in college, you uh, interned for Vice President Walter Mondale, who's been, um, I think, kind of a mentor to you. Um, and you, I think, worked for the Minnesota Attorney General as an intern. Like, at that point, did politics seem like sort of the path you wanted to pursue?
3: Well, certainly growing up, uh, I didn't think I would be running for president. I think a lot of people didn't think girls could do that back then. Uh, But by the time I got to college, I'd started working on campaigns. One of our first women legislators I worked uh... you know did door knocking for her when i was in junior high high school and then when i got to college i got involved in college democrats mondale um, of course was um, uh... the vice president to jimmy carter and that was pretty exciting so i got to work with him i was thought i would be doing glamorous policy papers but i got in, assigned the furniture inventory <laughs> which took three <laughs> weeks and i literally had to crawl under every sofa of all the staff of the vice president and write down the serial numbers and I learned two things. One, nothing was missing and two, always do your job as an intern because that was my first job in Washington and this was my second. So, I um, uh, learned a lot from Walter Montehill He's been a lifetime mentor. He joined the law firm that I was at, actually, not because I was there. I was just young. And I got to work with him full-time for years. So he was a great mentor. And I just started getting more and more involved in campaigns. I ran a city council campaign in the suburbs. I ran a county commissioner campaign, uh, state legislative campaign. And I did all that while I was in the private sector.
0: You're obviously very rooted in the Midwest. And that's part of your pitch as you run for president is that Uh, that part of the country, the party can't forget because Mm -hmm. it's sort of the salt of the earth and also Hillary Clinton had a hard time with some of those states like Wisconsin. But you know, for those of us on the coasts, like what does a senator from Minnesota offer?
3: I I thought about that yesterday when I was at the Presidio and we did an event on climate change with a retired firefighter, with one of the council members from Oakland, with someone who represents the area up near Paradise. Um, And We talked about the fact that to get the nation behind us on climate change, uh, you have these strong arguments now, yes, about. Uh, seawater rise and warming uh, and coastal issues, but you also have these heartland issues that people weren't really focused on before. Those are things like fires, uh, which are not only in Northern California, and I always use that story of the video of that dad talking his daughter down as they drive through those lapping flames, leaving their house, which was most likely getting burned behind them as he's singing to her to calm her down. I said, if that doesn't get you to believe that there's something wrong, I don't know what does. Well, those fires are still things we're seeing in the middle of the country, whether it is Colorado or Minnesota. Uh, this strange weather events with tornadoes and inordinate amounts of snow, uh, things like that, the rivers that are now flooding uh, as we go down into Nebraska and Iowa. And I think it's really important, a voice of a Midwesterner, to bring to that debate and to bring this common-sense argument that homeowners insurance has gone up 50% for everyone, not just the coast. Uh, it gets the political strength that we need to do something on un- climate change. And you can make that argument in many ways, but the Midwest felt left behind in 2016 Um, and we came roaring back in 2018 and we can do it again in 2020 uh, with someone that can speak to the issues of the Midwest as well as the whole country
2: so you're also a mom and it seems like your daughter Abigail's uh, health problems when she was first born was one of the first things that really got you into actually like sitting in a legislative hearing room Um, can you kinda talk just a little bit about that and and why you know did that really push you to later run for County Prosecutor and Senate.
3: Uh, It did. It was actually uh, before I had held office and I was in the private sector working at a law firm and we didn't know she was going to be sick. She couldn't swallow when she was born and back then the insurance companies had a rule that you get kicked out of the hospital in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. She was in intensive care. I was a new mom, had been up all night, and I literally was wheeled out of the hospital. And I said to my husband, this just wouldn't happen to the wife of the insurance company CEO. So after she got a little better, although she was sick for years and fed with a tube, Um, I ended up going to the legislature and lobbying for one of the first laws in the country, guaranteeing new moms, uh, lobbying as a citizen, uh, 48-hour hospital stay. And I learned two things. One, if you talk about things like episiotomies in front of all-male legislative committees, they're so embarrassed, they would say, okay, we'll pass it. Uh, The second thing I learned was how to get things done. I brought... uh, pregnant friends to the conference committee, and we outnumbered the insurance lobbyists two to one. And when the legislators, they were trying to delay the implementation, some of the lobbyists, they said, when should this take effect? And my pregnant friends all raised their hands and said, now. And that's what they did. Uh, Pregnant so ladies also lesson. makes them uncomfortable. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, so healthcare has been one of the issues you're running on, and you know the party is moving to the left in a lot of ways, and there's this push for Medicare for all, which would get rid of insurance companies. Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, and others are for that. I don't think you've you've taken quite that position, but tell me, you know, what what do you think, you know, given where the party's going on issues like that, is there room for someone like you, or are you are they going to say she's not really tough enough on Republicans?
3: Well, I want to see universal health care and I came into office based on my own experience with health care and I'm devoted to that. Um, I believe the fastest way we can get there right now is a public option. And that's something that President Obama wanted to do when we passed the Affordable Care Act and I was part of passing that bill to guaranteeing Uh, that we keep kids on their insurance till they're 26, their parents' insurance, and not kick people off for pre-existing condition. So the public option could be done with Medicaid. Brian Schatz has a bill that I'm original co-sponsor on. Or we can do it with Medicare. But it's a way to bring down costs for everyone because we'll have a less expensive option that doesn't involve all the middlemen. I also believe the other issue that has been long overlooked uh, is pharmaceutical prices. And I have led the bills to unleash the power of 43 million seniors to allow negotiation of those prices under Medicare, to bring in less expensive drugs from safe countries like Canada. Uh, that's a bill that actually Bernie and I uh, have done together along with uh, Senator McCain. I now have. Um, a number of uh, Republicans at least that have voted for it and I can see Canada from my porch in Minnesota. (laughs) We see those prices so let's bring in some competition.
2: So you, it it strikes me that actually when you talk about these policies that some of the big differences between you and the other Democratic candidates is style more than substance. That You are pretty progressive on a lot of these issues. But you've also gotten flack in recent months in the media for treatment of staff. And um, I know that part of the way you frame this campaign is sort of Minnesota nice. Um, Can
3: you talk about, like, how do you square those things? And and what's your reaction been to those stories? well i have some great staff sitting right here so we could ask them but we don't have time um... i have uh... i love my staff i have been um... number of times listed as one of the most effective senators including recently the most effective democrat uh, because of the fact that i have great staff that's how we have passed all these bills that's how i've been able to work across the aisle and sometimes i push too hard and i've been tough uh, but i have high expectations for myself for my staff, and I will have high expectations for our country. And the way I mesh these things (laughs) is that I am someone that have been honest, maybe sometimes too honest, uh, and I have done that uh, with the public. I've done that in Minnesota. I've been able to win every congressional district in my state including Michelle Bachmann's uh, three times in a row without sacrificing my progressive values and I've simply done that uh, by leading by going not just where it's comfortable but where it's uncomfortable and I'm gonna keep doing that.
2: Do you feel like, I don't know, how you interact with your staff is something you've
3: worked to change or? or- sure you can always improve, uh, but it is important for people to know that we have um, 70 people uh, signed a letter that have worked for me. That's a lot, um, including people that are with me every day in the car, including, and these are former staff members, Mm -hmm. chiefs of staff who have gone, a number of them gone into amazing things. Just yesterday, um, Seattle Lee, who's been with me 10 years in our state office, uh, was named a Bush Fellow, and he was the first Somali elected to the Minneapolis School Board while he was working for me and still works for me. So uh, we've got some incredible success stories, and I just I I love these people so I'm just going to keep working and you can't run a presidential campaign without having great staff.
0: Among the issues of how staff are treated has been the Me Too movement and your former Minnesota Senator Al Franken, uh, you know, was found to have been uh, treating women in ways uh, before he was in the Senate I think mostly that were disturbing and Senator Gillibrand called for him uh, to leave the Senate and he did. How do you feel about how all that went down? Because a lot of folks feel he was kind of, you know, railroaded out. Was sort of a victim of the of the moment and Democrats' desire to get a Democrat elected in Alabama and so on. Like, have you talked to him? And you know, how do you feel about it?
3: Yeah, I I talked to him uh, just two weeks ago, and uh, Al and I are friends. Well, we're still friends, and I had felt that that should have gone through the ethics process in the Senate. Um, and uh, he but he made a decision on his own and I did talk to him at the time about it Uh, it was a very difficult time for our state uh, and he is now uh, started doing kind of a Uh, He doesn't want me to call it a podcast, but he's been doing interviews with people um, across the country, and I'm sure he'll have another act. So final
2: question. We like to end with something a little funny. You mentioned how uncomfortable men got talking about episiotomies. Fast forward. Not always funny. Do we want
0: to define that? Maybe Uh,
2: Yeah, no. Fast forward 12 years or whatever, and you helped change the rules so Senator Tammy Duckworth could bring her infant on the Senate floor. I understand there was some kind of awkward conversations around (laughs) that. You want to maybe tell one or two? Uh,
3: Okay, so that was a moment I'll never forget. Tammy Duckworth, uh, war veteran, hero, lost both her legs. uh, And she's now in the U.S. Senate and age 50 is having her second baby. And she comes to me and says, you know what? We have these late night votes. I have a toddler. When my baby's born, I want to be able to bring her on the floor. And I said, no problem. Well, I find out the rules haven't changed since 1997 when they let a dog on the floor. So I start. They let dogs before babies? They did, they did. (laughs) Yes, it was a, a, a long story. So I end up. Uh, going to all these senior members with my mission to allow a baby on the floor during votes. And literally, Orrin Hatch said to the press, well, maybe we can have one baby on the floor, but what if, what if we have 10 babies on the floor? And I said, we already have 10 babies on the floor. <laughs> the members. And well, and so members. how many female senators are there? I pulled out a Dr. Seuss, and I said... Uh, she won't change the baby on the floor, she won't nurse the baby by the door, she won't change her clothes in the house, she'll be as quiet as a mouse, she won't burp the baby at work, stop being such a jerk. And so that kind of hit home how ridiculous the situation was. We got the rules changed, and literally the next day, Tammy Duckworth wheeled herself into the Senate floor with this beautiful uh, 10-day-old six-pound baby, a Miley Pearl, um, with a little green sweater and a pink hat so she wouldn't violate the Senate dress code. And she cast a vote with that baby on her lap, and people were crying uh, in the press gallery that happened and the baby slept through the entire historic moment. So when people ask me, how do you keep up your spirits during this dark time in our country, I say it is these people out marching and advocating. It's these young people running for office for the first time, and it's that little baby named Miley Pearl who never knew she was making history, but she did. Senator That's Klobuchar,
0: thank you so much. We love ending with Dr. Seuss. Yes, <laughs>
3: and babies. All right, thank you. It was great to
0: be
2: on. And that'll do it for this edition of Political Breakdown, a production of KQED Public Radio. Don't forget to subscribe to our Political Breakdown newsletter delivered every Tuesday in your email inbox. You can sign up at kqed.org newsletter.
0: Our producer is Guy Marzorati. Our engineer tonight is Seal Muller. Vinnie Tong is our managing editor. Ethan Lindsay is our executive editor. And Holly Kernan is our chief content officer. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer.
2: And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Lagos. So that's a wrap for this week's political breakdown from KQED. Thanks for joining us.
0: See you next time.
1: Hey there. This is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more.